The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are going to be looking at Psalm 25 tonight. I don't know if you guys read the Psalms a lot. I read the Psalms a lot, and Psalm 25 has become one of my favorites. And we are going to look at Psalm 25 tonight. Um, So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read the entirety of the Psalm. And then I'm going to pray and ask for God's help, and then we are going to look at this together. Does that sound good? Psalm 25 of David. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. For you, for they have been from of old. Remember not, please, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious, for I am lowly and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my afflictions and my trouble, and forgive all my sins Consider how many are my foes, and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Father, as we turn to this psalm, we pray that you would help us to trust you As we see the realities of life and experience hardness and difficulty, we ask that you would help us, God, to trust you. Would you use this psalm to strengthen our souls in Christ? It's in him we pray. Amen. Have you ever wondered, um, have you ever felt a bit of a low-grade frustration with your spiritual life, with the difficulty that you experience in your life? Have you ever... Have you ever wondered if God knows about your low-grade frustration and if he cares? Um, maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, and it's, it's great to respond to Christ, to receive his promises, to know him, it's, uh, to, to come to know him and to see him for who he is. And then uh, maybe like the rest of us, after a few days, a few weeks, a few years, life begins to get uh, a little bit hard again. The realities of life 
seem to crowd in and crush in and things are not as easy as they as you thought they should be and you wonder does God know about these difficulties and does God care often people ask me Jacob how are you doing today and I will respond well I have remained a Christian until nine o'clock in the morning so it has been a good day <laughs> um, often my my desire is just to get to nine o'clock because it just seems like life uh, does not change easily, life does not change quickly, and so by nine o'clock, I am hoping every morning to have received guidance from God's word, to pray for grace, and to hope that Jesus will continue to love me through the day. (laughs) Thankfully, he does, but life seems to be hard, right? If I can get to nine o'clock and still be a Christian, I think it will be okay for the rest of the day. I don't know... um, what your experience is, but it seems to me that life is hard and that the days do not get easier. And we often ask, why, why is this hard? Why are, things, why are things not changing quickly? Why are things not developing quickly? Why are things not changing? You know, we have all these productivity books and we wonder, how can I make my spiritual life a little bit more efficient, a little bit more productive? And yet here we are waiting in the waiting room of our spiritual life, right? I don't know if that's your experience, but I think that that is a bit of a picture of what we come to Psalm 25 and find. David, at the end of his, towards the end of his life, is here yet again continuing to experience difficulty. This is probably from probably the last quarter of his life, and he is wondering, God, I have been your servant. Not only am I your servant, but I'm your king. You have chosen me. You have shown me your grace and love. You have preserved me through all these trials. And yet, here I am, God, and life is hard. I think David brings us into this picture fairly well, and he helps us to ask the question, how do we trust God when life is hard? And I think this psalm answers us by giving us a few directions on how to patiently trust God And life is hard. So that's what we're going to be looking at tonight in Psalm 25. How can we patiently trust God when life is hard? And so we're going to be looking at Psalm 25 and finding three components of what it means to trust God when life is hard. How do we trust God when life is hard? And so we're going to be seeing how how, how we can patiently trust God for guidance, patiently trust God for grace, and patiently trust God with hope. So, let's pick up at verse 1, Psalm 25, and let's look at patiently trusting God for guidance. Psalm 25, verse 1. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Here David is in the midst of his frustration and difficult life circumstances. And he is turning to God and saying, God, I'm looking to you for guidance. God, I need your help. God, I am trusting in you. Would you please guide me? God, I am looking to you and help me. We see David here at verse one. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, and in you I trust. He is looking to God for help, and yet he is looking to God, and he is aware that his circumstances are not the way they should be. 
He's a bit of, bit of doing what we all do. He's comparing and contrasting, right? God, I'm looking at you. I've, I've believed your promises. I'm trusting in you. And yet looking around him and seeing all these people around him who are doing well and are not trusting God. You see that I, I'm looking at you, God. And yet verse three, they shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. So there's a sense in which he's looking around and seeing there's people who are not trusting in God, and yet they seem to be doing well. I know the end of what's going to happen, but God, things are not adding up. Things are not the way they should be. God, would you help me? And just a little note here. um, I don't know uh, if they covered this for you when you were going to school, but I uh, wantonly is not, uh, I'm not sure if that's like a native word that we, a lot, a lot of us speak. What, what does wantonly mean? Um, the best illustration of what wantonly means is, um, I know this is going to, some of you, this is going to be over your heads, but, uh, do you go Pokemon Go, the new app that's come out recently? Yeah, it's over your head. Bill, we knew that'd be over your head, but the Pokemon Go, Pokemon, what you do is, I, I guess, you um, walk around and you're trying to find these Pokemon and, like, catch them with your app and, like, catch them with the, the ball, right? Like, you're, like, walking around. Michelle and I went out for a date night a couple months ago, and we were driving through, um, through Victory Park, and uh, I look around, and I was like, and, like, 8 o'clock at night, there's, like, all these kids in the middle of... Victory Park, and I'm like, oh, they're playing Pokemon Go. Like, they're, like, walking around and, like, just, like, catching the Pokemon, right? Well, that's what it means to be wantonly. You're just kind of, like, walking around, like, however you can get what's going to satisfy you, you're walking around just to grab it. So the, the image is, here's all these people who are walking around trying to just get whatever's going to satisfy them, disobeying God and disregarding God, and yet here is David saying, God, I'm, I'm focused on you. I'm trusting you. I need your guidance What's the deal? Why is this so hard? That, that's kind of the picture of what David's picking out here for us. And it's, it's curious to me, in the midst of David's difficulty, because you, you can hear it in the passage, God, lead me, help me, guide me. Why is, David, why is David picking up here in terms of talking about the difficulty that he's facing? Why, why, why does David start out with this comparison and contrast that's going on in his life? I, th- I think David's experience is very much like our own. When things get hard, we begin to ask questions. When, when life is hard, when we run into the roadblocks, when we run into the quicksand of life, when we run into uh, the things that seem to just never go away, the questions start to a- be asked. What's wrong? What did I do? Why me? Why is this so hard? Why? 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 What's to blame? What's going wrong? You see this in the Old Testament where Job um, has a lot of tragedy go on for him. He has um, a profound amount of loss and sorrow, and his friends come, and they do the best thing they ever did. They come down and sit next to him, and they don't say anything. They just weep with him. But then they start to ask the questions. Job, what did you do to deserve this? What, what sins are you hiding? What's gone wrong with your life? Why is God afflicting you? I think it's a natural question to ask these things. What, what did I do to deserve this? Uh, and I don't know what the questions are that you ask when things go hard. But I think that's where David is. He's asking God, why, why is life so hard? Why, why is there so much difficulty? And the reality is that David's experiencing what we all experience as well, is that uh, our non-believing friends and neighbors sometimes... Um, 
compound the difficulty, right? We want to obey God. We want to trust him. And yet they see the difficulty that we're experiencing. And they're like, why are you choosing the difficult path? Why, is, why are you choosing the hard path? Why, why are, you, are you trying to follow God in the midst of all of this? You know, in, in the midst of a huge universe, why would you believe that God cares specifically for you? In the midst of uh, a world that wants you to indulge in every sexual fantasy that you could ever possibly have, why would you care about purity? In, in the midst of a, of a job or occupation where you could play the system to get what you want, why would, why would you try to walk in integrity with your job? Why, why, would you, why would you try to live your life by a book that's at least 2,000, if not older, years why, why would you try to, to follow God amidst all of these difficulties that you're having? Because I think, I think what the, the difficulties do is they cause us to go deep and to really begin to evaluate why we believe what we believe. And that's what David's experiencing here. I think that's where we are called to ask in the midst of all the difficulty, the hard things of life, the things that are not going away easily or quickly, we are called by God to ask for his guidance, to patiently ask him for his guidance because God does care, God does speak, God does love you, and he calls you to ask for guidance. We see that later in, the, in chapter 25, he says, verse 20, O guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Here, here he is looking to God for guidance and knowing that God's guidance is going to be a way of preserving him and caring for him. Not perfection, not, not the sort of guidance like, God, I need you to perfectly protect me, um, but, and I'm going to earn your favor, but God, I need your help. I want your help. We see David's the eager desire for God's guidance in our lives. We want God to care for us says verse 4, make known to me your paths, O Lord, and teach me your ways. We see this, I, I can imagine, I don't know what your experience is of difficulty, but when we, we face difficulty and hardship, um, it's these hard questions that don't have easy answers, but we look to God for help and guidance. You, know, you can imagine, maybe you can imagine a, a wife waking up one morning and her husband of 15 years the father of her four children has left her a little note on the kitchen table. I love her more than I love you. I'm leaving. For this woman, in the midst of all the pain and tragedy of, of what is about to just shatter around her, she doesn't need simple answers. She doesn't need um, questions like whose fault or why. She needs to know that God cares for her and is next to her, guiding her. I don't know what your, what your situation is, where, what, the, what the difficulties are in your life, but God, God in his word is not only just showing you that he is next to you and cares for you, but he is there to guide you through the difficulties, the difficult waters of what is ahead or the difficult waters of what you're walking through. God is there next to you and guiding you. He is answering the prayer of verse 4. Make me to know your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the who? You are the God of my salvation. 
So God, you're the one who pursued me and has saved me. And so I'm going to wait for you until you answer. I'm going to wait for your guidance, God. I'm going to look to you for help. We have to sometimes, in the midst of hardship, wait for God's guidance. And that is not easy. But God's word is sure. He is going to help us. He is going to answer. He is going to help. And so either if you are in hardship right now, maybe verse 4 and 5 is a prayer for you. God, show me how I am. What, what does it look like to obey you in this situation? What does it look like to obey you with these difficult circumstances, with the, with the things that are falling apart, the health concerns, the diagnoses, the problems and family drama that is not going away easily. God, what does it look like to obey you? What does it look like to, to follow you? Maybe this is a prayer for you in verse 4 and 5. Or if you are not walking through hardship right now, I think the way that you can, you can receive this is to say, I'm going to be going to the book for help. I'm going to be looking to God for help for him to guide me ahead of time so that when the difficult trials do come, when the hardship does come crashing down around me, I know what it's like to trust in God. I know God's word to me. But David does not just leave us there patiently waiting for God. He actually takes us a step further. So we're going to pick up in verse 6. See, patiently, we see that we can be patiently trusting God for grace. Because it's one thing to ask for God's help and guidance. It's one thing to ask for God in the midst of hardship and suffering. But it's another thing to receive God's specific help. It's not, there's not simple answers, like we were saying with Job. But we do get, receive specific help and grace to trust God. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I know we just had our third child. We're three boys deep. We got a lot of kids in the house. But um, we did, for a time period, Michelle and I have walked through uh, the realities of infertility and miscarriages. We have had three miscarriages, and we've had years of infertility, and you might not know that because we have three boys, but we've walked through those, those days, and many well-intentioned friends um, have at times said things like, oh, you just need to relax. You just need to uh, chill out. You need to trust God. Um, you know, it's not that bad. Like, go on a vacation. And uh, Michelle and I developed this uh, very healthy little habit. I, I give this to you as free of charge. We developed a well-intentioned box where we put all of their advice in. We put the, the lid on top of it, and we never talked about it. <laughs> it was like, thanks, unhelpful. We are not going to talk about that anymore. Um, and thankfully, I am so grateful that the way God engages our problems and the way God engages our needs and the hard things of life is not simplistic answers. Oh, just relax. Don't you know God loves you? Just trust God. Like, get over it already. God does not respond to our problems that way. And the way that he responds to us is giving us specific grace for the situations that we are facing. So let's pick up in verse 6. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been of old. Often I think when we are walking through hardship, the specific grace that we need is we need to be praying this type of prayer. God, remember, remember your grace to me 
from of old, not so much because God's forgotten, but because hardship often drives the specific instances of God's grace from our mind. We often forget God's grace to us. And this is a type of prayer that's a bit weird to pray. God, remember, but it's the remember of your grace that actually helps us remember God's grace to us. God, remember your grace to me from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Because often hard things in life, the difficult things of life, we forget that we have been the recipients of a grace that forgives offenses against God. We have received grace from a God who does not have to give us grace. And yet the hard things of life, often not only do they, we forget that, that God could have justly struck us down, and yet he has patiently given us grace, saved us from darkness and sin, and made us sons and daughters of the living God. And so that's why I think it's even helpful to remember to pray for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. We, we want to pray to remember God's specific goodness to us, his kindness to us, the ways in which he has been lavishing his favor upon us in ways that we can only dream and imagine. I, I don't know if you do this, but I, I try to do this on a regular basis. God, help me to remember your goodness and then give specific instances in my journal, in my conversations with Michelle, God has been good to us in these specific ways because I'm so prone to forget. I'm so prone to forget how God has been specifically good. God is not kind of like good in a general way to you. There are instances from today, if you were to sit down and think about them, God, from the instance of being given air to breathe to the grace of being with God's people to the grace of having God's word in your native tongue that you can read. I mean, I don't know how many of you know Hebrew and Greek. They're kind of hard languages to learn, and they're not native to most of us. Thank God we have his word, his goodness to us, but then specifically to you. How has he reminded you of his goodness to you today? Pray to know those specific moments of grace. So picking up verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. We need to pray that we remember that God is good and upright. He's not flicking you with the hard things and the difficult circumstances in your life. He's not like a little eight-year-old boy with a magnifying glass and ants. It's kind of like focusing him in on you because it's just his divine prerogative to do so. Good and upright is the Lord. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. God, God loves to respond to a heart that's leaning towards him and recognizes, I don't got this all together. <laughs> I got problems, God. <laughs> when God sees a heart that says, I need you, he loves to respond and not only give guidance, but specific grace. And then verse 10, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. For those who keep his covenant and his testimonies, we need to remember that God's, all the roads that God has laid out for us are paved with his goodness and faithfulness. Whatever the road is, whether it's the wife who wakes up to the note from her husband, or whether it's the diagnosis, 
or whether it's just the chronic conditions that don't go away or the sin patterns that we just can't seem to put to death. Whatever they are, God is leading us in paths of his own faithfulness to us, which means that they are defined by him and his character and not by you, not by your sins and failings or weaknesses and problems. God has defined all the ways in which he's going to lead you by his own character, by who he is, not by whatever problems you seem to think they won't go away. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Remember, we want to be praying, God, I am a sinner that has not deserved all these kindnesses from you, but you have been good to me. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. We want the specific grace of God amidst the hard things of life for a soul to dwell in well-being. Amidst the hardness of life, the harsh realities, amidst the thorns and thistles, amidst all the pain and struggle that we face, we want souls that dwell in well-being. And then verse 14, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. He makes known to them his covenant. Amidst all these things in which David is laying out for us to be praying for and how we can be praying for specific grace, are you not shocked by this verse? God himself has called you his friend. The God who, out of the own imagination, out of his own imagination, created everything that you have ever seen, experienced, heard, tasted, touched, the best flavors you've ever tasted and enjoyed. He thought of those. The best experiences of your life, he designed those. The grace to save you and to show you Jesus, he gave that to you. This great and magnificent and mighty God who upholds the entire universe by the power of his word right now, he comes to you in your seat where you are and all the hardness and difficulty that you're experiencing and he calls you his friend. And not just kind of like a friend to kind of like hey, I like your post on Facebook, friend. You know, not like that kind of friend. But what he's talking about here, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. He makes known to them his covenant. The phrase there, he makes known to them, it's, it, he gives like kind of like whispering counsel. I, the, the image that comes to mind, I don't have any sisters. I obviously don't have any daughters. But of like two girls who are like sharing little like inside secrets to each other, like that image, you, got, you kind of pick up the image of what I'm talking about. Like th- these two like, friends, these girls, and they just, they just love talking to each other and telling each other they're just like little secrets of the day. That's the view. That's the kind of the picture in mind. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. He makes known to them. It's coming. The Lord comes close to you, and he whispers his goodness to you. He whispers his character and who he's revealed himself to be to you. He whispers and tells you all the good things of who he is and how he loves you. That's the kind of God that we have amidst hard and difficult realities of life. He knows. He knows the hard things that you're facing. He knows the things that require bravery, the things that are not going away easily. He knows the things that are not changing as fast as you would like them to do. He knows the difficult conversations you're going to be having. He knows the diagnosis that you had today. He knows the diagnosis that you're going to have in 10 years. He knows how you're going to stand by and bury more people than you wish to bury. He knows all those things. And yet he is preserving you. 
He is upholding you. And he is calling you his friend. He's defining your life not by your problems. He's defining your life by his friendship and character. I wonder if this is the sort of thing that you pray about. We've been talking about prayer lately. And it seems to me that one of the things that's very unique about the prayers in the New Testament is that very rarely do you see Paul and the apostles praying for circumstances to change. What you do pray, see them praying for, is for these type of prayers. God, will we know who you are? Will we, re- will we know your character? Will we know your friendship? Not that this, the, the circumstances are going to change, but like David is praying here, Lord, I want to know your friendship. I want to know the specific grace of who you are to me. I wonder with the hard things in your life, it's fine to pray for God to change them, and we should pray for those things. But I want us to be people that are praying to know God's friendship, his specific grace, the specific needs that you have, grace to be faithful amidst them, to walk through life amidst the challenges you're facing, knowing the specific grace of God for those areas to know God as your friend. So here's David. He's been talking to us through his prayer about trusting God when, in the, amidst the hard things of life. And we're talking about how we can be patiently trusting God, patiently um, trusting God for his guidance, patiently trusting God for his grace. And now we're going to pick up in verse 15, patiently trusting God with hope. Because we, want, we don't want to just be a people who just kind of sit around and just kind of trust that, okay, this is all going to go away at some way. We want, specific, we want specific hope. We want to know, God, you're taking us in a specific direction. So let's pick up in verse 15. Patiently trusting God with hope. My eyes are ever toward the Lord. He will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my afflictions and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God out of all his troubles. You see, here we have David, ongoing waiting. The waiting is not going away. It seems actually that the difficulties of what he's experiencing, verse 16 and 17, seem to think that uh, things have gotten harder. Like things have not only gone from being like things are bad, but now things are getting harder. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what David has in mind, but it seems like the affliction and the difficulty is increasing. So, what we see David doing is, uh, as the difficulty continues to get harder, he continues to trust in God. He continues to trust in Christ. He continues to look to God for help because he knows that ultimately things are, God's going to change things. God's promises are going to come about. God's promises for changing not only his circumstances, but changing David's condition. 
It's just a matter of time. God will do things to change the situation, but he's not sure when that's going to happen. He's going to, we're going to be trusting God for the day when things change. But I find it interesting. I'm not sure uh, what school David went to uh, for how to write Psalms, but uh, it seems like uh, verse 22 seems a bit out of place at times. I don't know if you think about this, but here we have David basically saying, like, God, I know you're going to change things. You're going to have a big glorious future where things are going to be different. Um, I'm praying this is between me and God. And then suddenly, verse 22, redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Seems a bit of kind of like, like an oddly placed verse. I'm not sure uh, if you've ever thought about it, but it seems like, okay, David, I'm not sure if you got the memo, but if you're going to be writing a psalm about like your personal relationship with God, putting this like corporate thing at the end is a bit like, <laughs> it's a bit odd, right? But I think, I think David knows what he's doing here. I think David, in his mind, he's basically thinking, okay, um, I'm a sinner. If you know David's history, you know that he is like big time, like red letter, neon lights, technicolor sinner. Um, not any different than me or you, but you know, he lives out loud. So David, a big, a big sinner with a big problems. And if he's the king, remember David's the king of Israel at the time. If he's the king and he's got all these problems, oh God, <laughs> if I'm the king and I got all these problems, you got to help the people. <laughs> Because we're a nation of people that have got all these problems and all these difficulties. Um, and if I'm the king and I got all these problems, you can only imagine what the rest of the place is like. Um, here he is. He's broken. Um, he's a broken king leading a broken people who need a faithful God. And yeah, I think there's a little bit more going on here because it's not just that David is a broken king. David knows the promises of God and he knows that God has promised to be faithful to him and to provide a king that will be the true king. He will provide a king that will be true and faithful to God. He knows that God in his character will redeem Israel. And so he's basically saying, God, we need a king that's going to redeem us, that's going to change us, that's going to fix us. God, we need a king that is going to solve these difficulties, that's going to provide the grace that we need, that's going to guide us through the difficulties. And that is what David is looking for, and that is what we see ultimately satisfied in Christ. Psalm 24, I don't know if you think about this, but the, the, the book of the Psalms, there is actually a logic and an order to it. Psalm 24 is looking for a king that will ascend the hill of the Lord, that will go into God's presence and receive God's goodness for his people. And here we have Psalm 25 being prayed for a God that is going to provide the grace for hard things in life because the king has been faithful. Here we have David looking forward to the day when Jesus will be the true Israel. He will be the true king. He will be the one who saves Israel out of all its troubles because he will be the one who is the true friend. Jesus will be the king that has been faithful. He will be the one who, like verse 14, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. He will be the true friend where he will say in John fifteen thirteen, greater love has no one than this, and he lay down his life for his friend. You see, David is looking for a better David. He's looking for a better king. He's looking for the true son. And Jesus is the one who fulfills that, who is 
the true king, who is the true friend, who is the faithful and better David. See, when Jesus goes and prays this psalm for you and me, Jesus prays this as the one who has been the true friend. He, ha- he is the one that is the evidence that God remembers his, fa- his goodness and faithfulness to us. He is the way we know that God has not forgotten us amidst our hardship and trials. He is the one who prays this because he is truly innocent. David was not innocent. <laughs> He'd been around the block a few times and he made some enemies. Jesus was truly innocent. And yet he prayed this prayer for us. Jesus is the one, by verse 4, make known to me your ways, O Lord. Jesus was the one who not only makes known to us God's ways, but he's the one who walked away ahead of us. The one who walks the way ahead of us because we do not deserve God's kindness. But he walked the way ahead of us to the hill of Calvary and paid for all the sins and offenses and ways we have offended God. He is the one, we have not been God's friend. We have been God's enemy. And yet he was the one who was our friend and walked the hill ahead of us to die in our place so that we could have the secure friendship of God forever. So that we could have God's care and goodness and grace to us. This is how we know, turn to me, verse 16, turn to me and be gracious to me because Jesus was lonely and afflicted. Jesus was the one who was afflicted by God for our sins so that we, because of God's goodness to us, might truly know God's grace to us. You see, these are there's just the many ways in which we see that Jesus is the true king that fulfills this psalm for us. Jesus is the way in which we know God's goodness to us, his grace to us, so that when life is hard, Jesus knew difficulty. Jesus knew a difficult life. He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He knew the difficult things of life, and yet he is the one who is our friend and continually walks beside us as our true king so that we can patiently trust God when life is hard. That's what we see this this psalm, trusting God when life is hard because of who Jesus is revealed to be to us, because he is the one who redeems us out of all our troubles, because he is the one who's been faithful to us. See, we can see here the grace of God to be to patiently trust God when life is hard because Jesus has become our friend. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? Would you be near to us? Would you give us your spirit to help us to patiently trust you amidst all the difficulties of life? Lord, I don't know what they are in this room. I don't know what they are and how pressing they are, but God, you have been our friend. So would you help us to trust you? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.